you know, you, you see a movie that just brings you in or you read a book that just transports you to the place and time. I mean, you're there. You're there in the middle of the street. You know, you, you're feeling you're feeling the wind and um, and and the heat. And that is so much more of an impression, a memorable impression that um, that can that stays with with a person that you know that just um, I, I, I you know stories are magic. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with author of the children's book series, Becoming America's Stories, Antoinette Trulio Martin. Antoinette is a speech therapist and special education teacher by training, and she likes to joke that she wants to be a writer when she grows up. Antoinette has been collecting and writing stories forever and published her first children's book, Famous Seaweed Soup, in 1993. Over the years, Antoinette has been a regular columnist in local periodicals and had several essays featured in newsletters and literary reviews. I had a blast chatting with Antoinette, and I'm excited to share our conversation. As always, thank you to Mishu Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show podcast. Antoinette Trulio Martin, how are you doing this evening? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, Internet, um, you have a, a website that is also your name, uh, again, Internet Trulio Martin, uh, which I'll have links in the show notes for people to just click directly on that. Um, but the reason I mention that is because, you know, I've had a variety of authors and, of, and that sort of thing on the show, but you uh, have quite a bit of books published. You're, this is not your first rodeo when it comes to writing. Right. Yes. Um uh, j- just a little side note before we go on. Uh, mm-hmm. You can also access my website uh, with uh, storieserved.com okay. because I find that Antoinette Trulio Martin to be really hard to spell. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fair. So, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. definitely get that as well. And, and ideally, people will just be able to open up the, the podcast show notes and just click right on it so they don't oh, have to perfect. spell it or anything. So, very good. Um, very but good. I will. I'll include both of those for us. Um, but yes, I have uh, several books. Um, my very first book published was a children's picture book. And I have to say it's my favorite, uh, Famous Seaweed Soup. Um, then time went on and I wrote a memoir uh, titled Hug Everyone You Know, A Year of Community, Courage and Cancer. And that chronicled my first year with cancer. And um, then I have a, a contract with Red Penguin Books, where I am writing a three-book uh, series. Uh, the series is called Becoming America's Stories. The first book came out. It is titled The Heart of Bakers and Artists. And the second one comes out uh, in October, and that is The Dreams of Singers and sluggers and um and i have a little journaling workbook that i've been uh pulling together as well for uh school children oh cool so yeah yeah i noticed that yeah your first book was published in 1993 yes um, so 
before we, before I go back into your history, mm-hmm. I do want to talk a little bit up front, and then we'll we'll come back to it again also. But the hearts of bakers and artists, the most recent book mm-hmm. um, in the the new series that you're working on. So what is what can readers expect? You know, obviously we don't want to give away the whole plot, but what can readers sure. expect from that book and and from that series at large? Sure. The, uh, this is uh, the first book in the series. It is set in 1911 mm. and uh, stars our little protagonist, nine-year-old Lily, and she's an American-born child of Sicilian immigrant immigrants. She uh, loves to sing and she wants to, and she to prove that she is a big kid uh, like her sister Margaret. Uh, they, the family lives in the tenements of the Lower East Side, Little Italy neighborhoods, and um, it's pretty dire, especially during that time. Uh, Lily gets a chance to uh, bake bread at the Goldberg's Bakery like her big sister, but um, she does learn that it's, it's a hard road and sometimes very dangerous to be a big kid in a crowded Lower East Side neighborhood. This story was uh, inspired by um, stories my grandmother would uh, would tell around the table, and uh, you know, of course, I fict- fictionalized quite a bit. But um, here, I've, I've taken this this time period because um, not only does it explain an immigrant story and um, how. Uh, these immigrant stories uh, weave into the American fabric. Um, but we, we also see these very similar stories happening in today's world. That's exactly what, what that made me think of. Is it, mm-hmm. It's so interesting how, and, and, and to be clear, I'm not trying to go down some mm-hmm. deep political conversation or something, but, but just simply that the way that immigrants are talked about now, it, it's like it's this this new phenomenon. <laughs> when... Exactly. You know, it's like we discovered <laughs> something completely new right. and, and all this and, and the bigotry and the unrest and, and all the uh, hardships are, are nothing new. It, this has been happening, you know, n- not only in this country, but of course, you know, throughout the world and throughout world history. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I, I just find it so interesting, especially, you know, as Americans, because, you know, we're we really are a, a, a melting pot of uh, peoples mm-hmm. that um, sometimes the tolerance is is so short. I mean, my own grandmother on my mom's side came over on a boat from Denmark when she was like five years old. So, yes, there you go. I mean, I'm, I'm a, a what, a third generation immigrant, I guess, myself. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, it's there yeah it is there and um and every story is so unique and it's um and it really just plays into um what it to me means to be an american i mean here here these people have been able to sacrifice everything leave any everything they ever knew including their language Mm -hmm. and and left it for uh parts unknown and and made a life, and maybe not not terrific for themselves, but at least made a life for their families and for their children to be uh, to have half a chance. Yeah, and I think it's also uh, you know I I think that the the time period that you've set this in you know 1911 is also just fascinating because, mm-hmm. and I'm certainly making some broad assumptions here in this. I'm not a historical expert or, or something, but I feel like for a long time. 
obviously the world has always changed, but change mm-hmm. was a lot more incremental, right? Yes. And yes. then you get to 1911 compared to, you know, obviously we're in 2021 now, mm-hmm. but if it was 2011, just take a hundred years. It's, I mean, it's like an alien place now. Oh, it's <laughs> it's unbelievable. Spirit. It's just, um, just just the little bits of technology. I mean, rubber tires, right. <laughs> you know, paved right. streets. Right. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, my, my great grandmother, um, you know, she, she came over on the boat and uh, she did not believe that, you know, the man uh, walked on the moon. Um, mm. That was, that was a conspiracy. Right. <laughs> You know, so, um, but, but when you think about it, I mean, here, here she was, you know, she was born in 1880. <laughs> right. And, right. and uh, as a, you know, a peasant and, uh, you know, it, j- the telephone was a marvel to her. Right. So, uh, you know, so it was uh, quite an interesting, an interesting trans. It's been a very fast century. Um, yeah, I, I picked 1911 mm-hmm. because it seems to be such a void in our uh, knowledge of history. But it during this time between, um, you know, the early ni- 1900s, the turn of the century mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt and the whole thing. And then it seems like no- nothing is heard about. You know, we don't hear too much until World War One. Mm-hmm. But so much so many events and policies and uh, uh, triggers were uh, established and laid their foundations out around, uh, f- during this like 20 year period. Mm. And um, so 1911 was like smack in the middle of it all. I see. And um, you know, women's suffrage was, was still plodding along right. and uh, children um, were not supposed to be working, but they were right. you know, in these dangerous factories. And, um, you know, girls weren't expected to be educated. And, um, you know, they were, and then you had all, all this development going. Bridges were being built. Uh, subways were, were being dug, you know, New York City. You know, so all this incredible progress, yet the history with the policies that went on just laid the foundation for so much that we know today, you know, how we understand labor unions, how we understand how our children are educated. Right. And, uh, and also it was, to me, it was really one of the, uh, you know, history doesn't happen in a year. It, or, or in just one event, it, it, it simmers over time. Right. And uh, so you know, the more I dug into this, the, the uh, you know, it, it was like, oh, my goodness. Now, now what can I choose to, you know, to really focus in on here? Right. Yeah. It, it, it got to be so on. It got to be very, uh, very big. Yeah. I mean, I'm completely this is not a good segue to what I care no, to right say ahead. That. But I think it's I think it's so interesting to think about that. And, it, and the comment you just made about how history is this it's not a year or an event. It's a, a, a longer span that kind of simmers. And just, I think in, when in the moment, it's hard to understand that because you're right. in it. Yeah, because you're in it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, the, the period that we live in now, I just, I feel now it would probably, it would seem like there's these little flashpoint moments everywhere. They're like, oh, well, that's a really big historical thing. But 
really probably in another 50 or 100 years or however long it takes for people to actually have some perspective on this moment in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, It's just going to be it's going to be crazy to to see how rapidly the world adopted the Internet and Mm -hmm. what impact that had. And I mean, obviously, we're just in the infancy of it still now, even. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating for sure. It, it will be. And it'd be, uh, you know, e- even just doing, you know, what we're doing now, this podcast. Right. I mean, this wasn't happening 10 years ago. Or was right. It? I don't, if it was, I didn't know about it. Well, here's, <laughs> so here's what's crazy about podcasts is the reason it's called a podcast is because it was something that was designed for iPods, which oh, no I don't kidding. even, uh. Because when those came out, there weren't smartphones yet, right? So they were standalone music players. And so it was like, well, hey, in addition to music, maybe people would like to listen to basically radio style conversations. Right. Um, But it's not radio. So let's make a podcast. The iPod doesn't exist anymore. So (laughs) the podcast we're doing is named after an obsolete technology. (laughs) It was only around for like five years or something. Isn't that Um, funny? Oh, that's... That's interesting. That is yeah. very interesting. <laughs> because there's, there isn't a pod now that anyone uses. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone uses their iPhone. My, my mother iPhone. uses hers. Hey, nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. so, I, I, you know, obviously the, the history of all this is very important. And this is something I'm always so interested to talk to authors about. But how much time... How how invested are you in the research of, of that wow. historical period when writing this? That, that was That was the most fun part. Uh, I went uh, I went to the Tenement Museum a couple of times, which is a fascinating uh, place. Um, in, in fact, uh, one time I took my mother and uh, sisters and cousins with us, and um, my mother was like, "Oh, yeah, Grandma talked about this, and uh, they they talked about the uh, the coal stove and and the window in the middle of the room, that that sort of thing. So all these things uh, that were talked about and told about, you know, at the dinner table, you know, were were coming to light. What became became real. Um, I was at the public libraries. I um, the the people at the tenement museum were just wonderful. They gave me a lot of resources and uh, people to pick their brains with. And, um, you know, and of course the internet has, uh, has amazing uh, bits of information. Um, I was able to get uh, a few stories from, um, I, I have an, I have an aunt who is still alive uh, my father's aunt Oh wow! Yeah, and and she's pretty sharp, and um, she she was able to uh, give me some insight as to not so much her because she was the youngest of them, but but she knew you know how her her brother who was my grandfather went went to school and um, and retold the stories of about how her mother went to school, and uh, you know so it was. Uh, so getting those firsthand accounts was uh, w- was terrific. Yeah, that's so that's so cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's so cool to be able to take your family's history, a real you know a real history, and then and like you said, obviously you have to fictionalize sure. some elements of it because you don't know <laughs> the sentences that they said to each other or something <laughs> <laughs> for every moment that they were together. But um, 
but it's really cool to be able to kind of weave those things in in together. Um, right. I, so are 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 a lot of I don't know if the stories is the right word, but is are, are a lot is a lot of the content in your book based on these oral histories that, that yes. you heard from grandma? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what what I wound up doing, it seems like what I've been doing for about four or five years now, is um, I've been collecting family stories. Mm. And um, I put them in my, my blogs. And and, some, and most of them are quite sweet. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just, just kind of to give a, a feeling as to, you know, what family life has been, you know, for me and my, my family. And, you know, I always thought everybody's family was, was like mine. I mean, we're huge, we're loud, and you know your, all your cousins, you you know your, your aunts and uncles, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you have these big meals, and um, you, you make sure that you go to the holidays, and and you have all this in, intimate information about everybody. Mm-hmm. But not everybody has that. I had learned. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, you know, to have that extension. So, um, and to me, it's sad because uh, they, they don't have the connection to uh, the past to know, you know, really where, where the family has come from, what, what their road had been like, um, kind of explain, you know, the explanation for the trespasses, the, uh, the reasonings for, you know, bad decisions, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, so I, I, I've been taking these stories and um, putting uh, the personalities in, into the characters that uh, have been living out in, in uh, the fictionalized stories. Um, this particular story, the first one, The Heart of Bakers and Artists, uh, the older sister margaret is is very much like the way my what i what i perceived my grandmother must have been like the bossy big sister who um was always cross and it was always uh something to complain about um and (laughs) and and she wasn't you know and you know back then being pretty and um uh, what was was something a girl attained to to be? Um, being smart was not uh, was not that attractive, but uh, she was smart, mm. and uh, and but and she wasn't that pretty, but uh, her sisters were, and uh, so that that had a bit of a dynamic mm. in in the story as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, that is that is an interesting dynamic, and especially, um, I mean, I'm just imagining the <laughs> in that scenario again, in the context of the world as it was at that time, the being rewarded for your looks, which is not something that you, I mean, not something that, that you can really uh, acquire, right? Like you kind of right. are, you have it or you don't. Especially then, when right. there's not the mm-hmm. the technology of today with you know enhancements yeah, and, and, and plastic surgery. Makeup. Or hair right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no such thing as that. Yeah, but then to be stifled as an intelligent person by someone who maybe isn't on your level, but they right. have an upper hand mm-hmm. because 
you know, because of their looks and it's just how frustrating. Right, <laughs> right. And, uh, and, you know, and then you have to contend with the uh, expectations, especially for girls. You know, mm. you, you had to do what was expected. And uh, back then, my grandmother and her sisters were expected to quit school before they were 12 mm. and uh, go to work in the factories. Um, the thinking being that, you know, they're not going to be in the family for too much longer. They, they will be married off. And um, so let's make them worthy, worthwhile. You know, learning to yeah. read right is enough. Right. Yeah. yeah, there's, you know, obviously, I mean, to, I, I say obviously, to me, obviously, something like arranged marriage is very, oh. very... I'm a product of arranged marriage. Yes. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I was I was talking to a lady recently who um, was she was actually in the Secret Service, but but and she's I don't know probably in her 40s now. Mm-hmm. Um, but so she was a, a debutante though in, in the South, which I didn't. I was like, what is that? Like I just thought that it was like a another word for like wealthy person Mm -hmm. or something you know and and she explained that no it's like your family holds this party to basically announce that this young woman is now of age yeah and i was like (laughs) how weird (laughs) no offense to her her family or anything but just to me that's just so bizarre sounding (laughs) it's it's so it's so foreign uh it's so foreign to us but uh my my grandmother and her sisters that all their marriages were arranged uh, except for one who ran away and uh you know and she came back married and pregnant so they had to take her back right <laughs> and um and you know and even my great grandmother she um her marriage was arranged she did not want the marriage mm. mostly because the uh the young man was the son of the village witch so you have all that going on wow yeah. Yeah. The village witch. Probably actually the village healer. <laughs> she was. Yeah. Right, that, that's, yeah. yeah. She she's got a great story. She's got the best story of it all. That's an epic one. <laughs> that's a whole different series. memoir you called it there was about your your battle with with cancer yes that's, the hug everyone you know one yes yeah so that's not a, a children's story obviously no it's not your own life yeah but the rest of the books are geared towards children am i yeah. correct in understanding that the audience i can speak to best are children um you know i'm a teacher i'm a speech therapist i'm a teacher um you know so i'm i'm very comfortable in front of other teachers and uh and kids mm. Well, and so I was curious, 
do so i guess the first question is do your stories have a quote-unquote moral to them being children's stories like is there a, a a lesson that you intend to teach through the book or or not necessarily um no i i think um well i think just about all children's lit is is like that there are lessons learned there are um like in uh this becoming america's story series um I, th- I think the lessons are, you know, being able to, uh, you know, show some compassion and uh, and tolerance towards uh, others who are different, and um, and to be and to be kind. You know, when you're kind, good things happen. And um, but when you're fighting it and um, always uh, oppositional. Uh, it, it makes it very hard for uh, for things to move forward. Um, in my my picture book, it, it's um, like I said, it's my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's a story of independence. You know, being able to make her her seaweed soup by herself, even though she asks for help, um, she's able to. Uh, gather and put together and stir and serve uh, the seaweed soup by herself, and which mm. is a very proud uh, moment. Yeah. Well, and so I was curious because that's my impression as well is that most children's stories seem to have a, a lesson. And honestly, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's unique to children's stories. Maybe it's most. <laughs> most yeah. Maybe it's mm-hmm. all stories ultimately have some sort of lesson. Um, and where I was going with that is that, is that something that is in your mind ahead of time? Like when you start writing, are you like, okay, I want to convey this lesson through the story and then you construct the story around that lesson mm. or are you more telling a story and the lesson emerges from that? Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. I see where you're going with that, but uh, I'm, I'm more lean. I lean towards more telling the story mm. and, um, and and sometimes it's you know a, a, a listener might have a different come away with uh, from from the uh, you know from what I what I had uh, originally thought. So I, yeah. I think um, yeah I, th- I think I'm more of the storyteller first than uh, the one who's going to give you a, to send a lesson. Yeah, you know, the teacher. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, and so, so what I'm getting ready to say, I think, is obviously true. Um, I mean, you can look at the the major religions of the world mm-hmm. that have been around for thousands of years and are primarily conveyed through stories in their texts. Right. right? Yes. Um, but I, I'm curious to have to hear your thoughts on on why a story is a more useful for lack of a better way to say that way to convey an idea or a lesson or a moral as we've been talking, as opposed to just flatly saying, <laughs> you know, Hey, things go easier if you are kind to people. Like right. why is the story a more effective way than just saying that blatantly? Right. Because I think it, a story takes us on the journey. Mm. It, um, it, it takes us on the journey. We get to see, hear, feel what, what, what is happening we we um, hopefully you know get a um, the down to the guts of empathy and uh, 
you know, and, and just truly um, become part of the story. The story, you know, you, you see a movie that just brings you in or you read a book that just transports you to the place and time. I mean, you're there. You're there in the middle of the street. You know, you, you're feeling you're feeling the wind and um, and and the heat, and um, and that is so much more of an impression, mm. a, a memorable impression that um, that can that stays with with a person. That you know that just um, I, I, I you know stories are magic. They uh, they can they can bring you anywhere, and they can help you see anything. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. I mean, that you bring up, you know, feeling like you're, you're transported there. I mean, I guess to some extent the story enables a person to engage, you know, if not all five, at least more, more than one Mm -hmm. sense, right? Like you can potentially feel or hear or, or, you know, or envision um, whatever the, the setting is or whatever the circumstance is, but that's, to your point, kind of puts more hooks in the mind than just simply reading a, a statement, whether or right. not the statement is true. Right. Um, I mean, you, even, you know, even, you know, a, a story that might, you know, as you're reading it, you're, you're bawling. <laughs> right. You know, or you're just laughing out loud. I mean, that becomes that, um, uh, that memorable uh, spot that's uh, going to make you say, oh, you know, I, I really enjoyed this because... Or I learned from this, uh, you know, when, you know, when I laughed out loud, silly. Right. Here. So it's, um, you know, I, I, th- I think stories, you know, give us so much more meat to our existence. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I would agree with that. So you've mentioned that that, that picture book is, is maybe your favorite one. Mm-hmm. Um I guess what makes it your favorite one? Um, of, well, of the... it's it's an almost true story. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a young mom, and we go to the beach all the time. We're beach bums, and um, I wrote the story just watching my little girl play on the beach, and um, I wrote it. You know, I think I wrote it out within two weeks and had wow. it down. And, um, then, you know, I was reading it to my kid, my students and my kids and, and my, of course my mother loved it. And, um, but you know, uh, you know, it was the nineties. It was not a uh, worldwide web. You didn't submit things with emails. It was all the postal service. Right. So, um, you know, you submit, you bring, you send the manuscript out and you think they're going to, you know, jump through the hoops to, to get you to sign on the dotted line. But after six weeks, a, a thanks, but no thanks rejection letter comes, comes mm. in. Um, so it, it took, it took a couple of years to get it, uh, you know, to retool it, to, to refine it. I, I joined uh, a local uh, society of children, book writers and illustrators group. Mm. And which was so valuable, you know, your kids and your mom always love what you do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but perfect strangers who are honing their art <laughs> have plenty to say about yours. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is all, you know, 
and you know, being a writer, you got to have a bit of a thick skin. You got to be able to take it and understand what it's for. And it w- it was great uh, feedback. And I read, you know, we wrote, we wrote, we send, learned to write query letters better and all that. And within five years, I get the acceptance letter from Kathy Tucker, editor at Albert Whitman and company back then. And she puts out, this story reminds me of my childhood. So I got her on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> that's so That's so awesome. That's so cool that you got to write the story based on your own experience with your daughter. And then, I mean, even though it took a long time. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I think that's, I really think that's inspiring to hear too, though, because I think it's easy to think that, I mean, everyone, everyone's heard like, oh, well, you'll be rejected at first, right? Like everyone gets rejected their first time, but to hear that you persevered for several years and Mm -hmm. still ultimately saw it through, I just think that's really powerful. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty stubborn. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it it worked though, right? (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does work. Yeah. (laughs) So. I also in 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 looking uh looking you up a little bit before we talked um mm-hmm. am I correct in understanding that you obtained an MFA in creative writing and yes. and literature in 2016? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I had always wanted to be a writer when I grew up, but <laughs> it was uh it was not one of the choices I could have going to college. So <laughs> Right. Um so I, I became a, a speech therapist, uh, but I was always writing, mm. you know, as a kid. And I would take electives and take classes and the whole thing. So uh, when my youngest daughter f- finished uh, college, I enrolled in the MFA uh, at Southampton Stony Brook University. Well, that's- and it was wonderful yeah yeah um finally you know you know if they were my people (laughs) and be able to to talk writing um to really explore and to push push some some limits and take a taste take risks and um so it was really um wonderful yeah well i i was i was honestly a bit surprised simply because, I mean, you're a published author 20 years almost prior to that, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm curious, I mean, was it just that you felt that there was more to learn or what was it that actually yeah, inspired I, you to, to do that? Yeah. Well, it was one of those things I always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I was just coming off um, cancer treatments mm-hmm. and everything. So, you know, it was something I really wanted to do. Um, I hadn't been successful in really getting another book published, you know, after famous seaweed soup. Mm. So, um, so I figured I must've been missing something. And, um, but, and what I was missing was, um, a, not, not so much a, 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 a skill, a craft, but but just the way in of, of approaching mm. uh, the la- approaching language and uh, being able to read a little more critically uh, and and try to emulate some of the 
some of the better better works that are out there. So, um, yeah, I, I really felt I needed it. I did need it. And um, I, I think I'm, I was better for it. Yeah. Well, I just think that's super cool as well um, to, to see, to see someone who's been successful. And like you said, you're, you're struggling to, to get the, the next book published. So, you know, seems like there's something that needs to be there, but that's so cool to, to see someone um, honestly be humble enough to, to go back and say, Hey, I guess I do need to learn something else. You know what I mean? I, I think yeah, yeah. it'd be easy for people to assume that, Hey, I've been published. So if it's not working now, it's because, you know, the world is not just or, <laughs> or yeah, something yeah. is not fair. <laughs> Things have um, changed too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I am also curious, you know, with the, most of your books, it sounds like it's either, you know, obviously with the, the Seaweed Soup book, it's about you and your daughter. And then this new series of books you, you, you're working mm-hmm. on and have put out, it's it's based on your family history. But the mm-hmm. memoir that you wrote is about you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> how different, how, like, how vulnerable was that experience? It seems like it would be, for me, I think it would be very challenging. But what was that yeah. like to write about yourself in that way? Yeah. Um, well, when I was... Uh, first diagnosed with uh, cancer was in 2007. Mm. And um, first thing to know about me is that I'm a very wimpy person. I'm the wimpiest patient that could be. I will pass out. I will cry. I will just, yeah, be be useless. So um, I found, you know, I, I went back. To, yeah, I was always journaling, but I really journaled and journaled and journaled throughout the whole time and um you know and it was you know and i got through it got through the chemo and the radiation and the whole nine yards and and everything and so i had this journal and i thought wow i did this hmm i think i'll just write a a whimsical story about having cancer and um i tried to go back to it and I just couldn't do it. Yeah, mm. it was just I I couldn't believe I I I had to do this and and that it was so scary. I I was never so scared. Mm. So um, but but then and you know then I was told that this was over and I was on you know like a maintenance thing and that was fine. So um, so after about a couple of years of, tr- of starting and restarting, I just put it away. And uh, just as I put the tape on the box, um, I uh, got a diagnosis of stage four cancer. Wow. So now I'm living with it. And so when you first get stage four, um, you know, you figure you had a a really close expiration date coming. Mm. So I needed to write something so that you know, my, my daughters would have and might show them that I, I wasn't really that scared. Mm. Um, so I wrote it. And um, big mistake I made in writing it mm. is that when you write a book, when you write a memoir especially, you really have to be able to to get up in front of people and talk about it. Um. <laughs> It's just not my thing. And um, especially when, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people who are really sick 
and they want to know how come you're looking so good and healthy when you've got the same diagnosis I have. And I don't have an answer for that. Right. So, um, so I, I really have a hard time get, uh, getting it off the ground. Right. So, I mean, this is not a question I had intended on asking you ahead of time at all, but uh, hearing you explain that, I I am just curious because it's something, and this is completely selfish of me right Mm now. um, No, go right ahead. (laughs) But, but I think, I think so much about, um, just the concepts of, of, of worry and anxiety and, and fear and, and how much that drives so many things and, and in the world and, and, but really within myself, mm-hmm. I'm curious, how did you process that fear? How did you find a way to, um, not just be completely overtaken by that? Um, well, journaling was a big help. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was one, one thing. And also I had come to realize is that I had this posse of everyone right, right beside me. Mm. And, um, and I, you know, I'm not, it's not very good on the telephone, but I could email and we were emailing each other. And that's what I saved in the book. That's Mm. what, that's what became the book were the series of emails, um, going back and forth and really showed, um, you know, the support and the love and the, and the good wishes and genuine good wishes of, um, of my everyone, you know, from my everyone. And it was, and it was because of my everyone that, that sustained me, that, that kept me going, that made me not cry all day long, maybe get up and go to work and, and do what I had to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting you know, to hear you share that. And then when you were talking about when you, when you first wrote that book in 1993 and, um, and kind of the turning point there was finding obviously a very different circumstance, but yet mm-hmm. again, it was a, a group of people that, right. that kind of helped prop you up. And I don't think that's unique to, to you, to be clear. I think that that's a, a story that happens. It seems over and over again. It, it, and my point, I guess, is just that, um, it's easy to to understand or to hear a story of an individual and to see them as that individual. And I don't mean to take anything away from certainly from you or from any mm-hmm. individual in their story. But I, I think that it's it's sometimes maybe lost how how much we all depend on each other. Oh, right? Absolutely. We need our tribe. Yeah, we need our tribe. I mean, that's, um, you know, that's how human beings operate. Right. Right. We're better together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So uh, this is a a very weird question now, probably coming Mm -hmm. off of of that conversation. But I'm curious also when writing these books, is it is it an aspiration that it like gets turned into a a movie or a TV series or or is that not that's not a thought at all? (laughs) I I, I wouldn't even know how to approach that. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I have friends who said, oh, can I play this part? It's like, go ahead. But I don't know who's going to write that script for you. Right. (laughs) But uh, I I, I, I honestly don't know how that happens. Um, I've been too cluttered, you know, Mm. just, just pumping these, these other things out. Right. And, um, and I, I'm a, I'm a labored 
writer. I, it takes me a long time. I, I actually handwrite before I put it put it into the laptop. Oh wow, that's awesome. Uh, but you no, know, I love it. I, I love it when people have their own unique processes because um, it it the thing is is that like like I knew a, I there was a lady one time who was teaching. I have a friend that's a big real estate investor kind of mm-hmm. person. And, and this lady was talking about systemizing whatever paperwork has to be done in that space. And, and, and of course, I mean, this is within the last few years. So of mm-hmm. course everything is done on a computer at this point. Sure. And she does everything by hand. She, she, it's all on paper. It's all handwritten. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, well, that's crazy. And she's like, yeah, but it works. Like, this is how I built, my business is how I built my life. This is mm-hmm. the, the process I use. Uh, and I think that there's, I think there's something neat about that as well. Even if it's not necessarily that everyone has to adopt that process, I think someone identifying something that works for them and, and sticking to it. Uh, I think that's really cool. Cause I think it's easy for people to be like, Oh, well, I'm not doing it right. I need to conform to what other people are telling me. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I should be, I should be more efficient and effective, you know, that sort of thing. I, I would be a lot faster if I could just type it out, but. Um, yeah. But, but you might not get it done then. Right. Because you wouldn't be in that same space. Yeah. Because um, I think there's a, there's a, at least for me with the handwriting, there's a kinesthetic language connection mm. that, um, that, that helps me, you know, create a scene and, uh, you know, it helps me develop a character. So um, it, it works for me. So when writing, obviously you've got, you know, sophisticated characters, sophisticated plots. Are you, when you sit down, do you have the characters in mind first or is it the plot in mind first or is it not really either one and they all kind of develop together I'm, I'm not a writer, so I'm just curious yeah. how that can all unfolds. They, uh, well, they live in my head a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, I think they, they kind of happen as, as it happens. I, I, I tend to be very chronological. I like things to be ordered in time mm-hmm. and um, you know, and so the, the challenge is to make sure I don't miss anybody or miss anything, you know, uh, a, a clue, a piece of, uh, a, a piece of information, uh, that, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's not, it's not a typical process. Yeah. I say it's la- it's, it's labor intensive. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's also not a math problem, right? It's not. Oh, please. No, it can't be math. Right. <laughs> well, and I just, I just say that just to mean simply like, it's not, you're not just saying like, oh, well now I need this integer and then I need this integer and now right, the equation right. is complete, yeah, right? Yeah. It's not, not that formulaic maybe is an easier way to say right. it. Yeah. It's not that clean. <laughs> right. Um, and so, so yeah. So at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned, um, obviously you had the book come out in, in 2020, the mm-hmm. heart of Baker's artists. And then, you mentioned a second one that's coming out just this this mm-hmm. year. Is that correct? Yeah, it's coming out uh, hopefully the end of October. Okay. And the name of that one? That one is The Dreams of Singers and Sluggers. And there there I um, I explore uh, how uh, public health nursing uh, started in the tenement neighborhoods. Oh, wow. And um, 
this one incredible woman who was a real person, Lillian Wall, uh, she, uh, she was the public health nurse, uh, founded the Henry Street Settlement where um, people were able to um, meet for unions. The NAACP met there. Uh, it, it, it must have been a beehive of unbelievable things that were going on. But I incorporate her, her settlement house there, and and the New York Yankees. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, is it a direct sequel to the first book? Or... Yes, it is. It leaves. Okay. It, it starts where the last one leaves off. Okay. And then I and I, I apologize if I'm misremembering, but did you say there will be a third one in the series? At yes, some point there as is well? a third one. Okay. That one might be taking place a hundred years later. Oh, okay. That's fun. Yeah. Yes, I mean, we'll see how that works. <laughs> I, I, there's there's good precedent for it. I mean, uh, it's science fiction, so it's very different. But, you know, Dune is a very famous series of books, and mm-hmm. that spans millennia. So Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. That's right. There's precedent for your plan to be successful. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, Antoinette, again, like I said at the beginning, I will make sure and have links to your website uh, oh, in, the, in the show notes. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure it, talking with you. Have you have been, you're a great interviewer, conversationalist more. I really appreciate you taking the time to join this evening. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.
Well, that's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Antoinette for stopping by and sharing her walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening. I also invite you to check out my other shows, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters, or my other show, The Crowfall Podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of these are available on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up. <laughs>